Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. This conversation was recorded on June 30th, 2021. Some things may have changed by the time you hear it. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, we're taking a dive into emerging markets with a look at investing in Africa. Joining me to break it all down are Million Acres Analyst and Africa resident, Tyler Crow, and Global Partners Advisor, Bill Mann. Thanks for joining me, guys. How are you, Nick? I'm great. I'm great. We're pre-recording this because I'm getting ready to head out for my bachelor party <laughs> slash wedding slash honeymoon. So I'm doing great. Very exciting time. Very busy time. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad. So to by the time guys. this airs, you might be dead. I mean... All of us could be. All of us could be, not me specifically. But yeah, I mean, you're you're hearing this in the future, right? We're living in the past. We're time traveling to you, uh, podcast listeners. So, you know, uh, hopefully things have gone well in the interim. I hope your bachelor party goes really well, but not as well as that. I hope you have a blast and congratulations. I agree. I think think my fiance would agree as well. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm doing great. I do have to apologize. As you mentioned, being an Africa resident, every once in a while, the power does cut out from time to time. So if I get a little blank stares, that might be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, let's talk about Africa. We're going to talk about what's happening in this huge continent, what could drive it over the next decade or so, and then some investment opportunities off the bat. just want to talk about the demographics, because the demographics of Africa really set up nicely for lots of growth uh, uh, coming into the future. Tyler, what can you tell us about what's going on for Africa just from a population point of view? Who lives there? That is, it's such an interesting question to ask because it is such a dynamic place. It, not just like, you know, we talk about Africa as a whole a lot, but it, you know, it from country to country, it's changing a lot, but it is, as of right now, it's about 16.7% of the world population with the median age only 19 years old. This is a young, growing, dynamic, hungry continent. I mean, but over the next 40 years, we're expecting a population to increase 85%. Uh, where urbanization is gonna be huge in this area. We're talking about like, right now there are no cities in Africa that are the size of New York City, about 20 million. In 40 years from now, there could be more than 10. And then in 70 years from now, there could be more than 20. The growth rates here are staggering. The urbanization rates are staggering. It is a continent on the move. It's also a continent, Tyler, that is, it's kind of like saying, how are things, when you say, how are things in Africa? It's a little bit like saying, how are things in North America? There's a vast difference between South Africa and you know where you are in the Gambia. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've been, I've lived, been living here for a little over five years. Uh, the two countries I've lived in are Malawi and the Gambia, two places that I think most people would consider um, on the less developed side. I, mm-hmm. it, that's that's not an understatement uh, in <laughs> any way. But you go to places like Johannesburg, Cape Town, Nairobi. Lagos, you're getting a very, very different experience than where, where you would get in where I have been and even within those countries in, the, in places outside the cities. That the, the dynamics, the change that you can get in 100 miles is, fantastic, is just staggering. 
Yeah. So, so when you look at the, the economy, obviously lots of, lots of diversity going on, lots of, lots of ranges of, of development. But when you think about, you know, the, the highlights of Africa as a, as an economy, as, as a, you know, contributor to the, to the world, uh, world trade today, where does it plug in? What are the major industries? Well, as of right now, like if we talk about it on the global scale, most of what, uh, Africa is known for is extractive resources as of right now. Um, you got the Zambia copper belt. It's one of the largest copper producing areas of the world, which also happens to be right around the places where we're getting a lot of similar metals, cobalt, which is one of the huge ones we're talking about with the electrification of the grid because cobalt is a huge uh, battery requirement. Uh, other Oil has always been one of the biggest resources for a long time in many countries across the nation. Uh, and it, it, no matter where you go, you're going to find some sort of extractive resource one way or another. South Africa, diamonds, precious metals. Even where I was in Malawi, there was a little bit of uranium and uh, timber. Somewhere on this continent, somebody's doing extractives. Right. And so this opportunity, I guess, as, as we develop into the into you know, further throughout the 21st century is to move from this highly extractive farming based economy towards more kind of developed modern uh, technology based economies moving into the future. So you have this young, dynamic, hungry economy uh, underdeveloped in some of these areas with lots of opportunities uh, to expand into the future. What can you talk about where they are as far as technological development and, and what opportunities are, are there for the for the uh, continent and maybe specific countries too? again, we talked about it's hard to generalize. We're trying to do that here. Uh, but uh, but do your best. There are 95 companies, African domiciled companies that are trading on the U.S. exchanges. Almost all of them are on the um, on the OTC exchange. So not on the New York Stock Exchange, not on not on NASDAQ. Uh, some of them are rather large companies. I mean, Naspers, for example, is a you know is is an eighty seven billion dollar. Uh, its legacy was as a newspaper company, but they did a little thing a couple of you know about fifteen years ago where they put a tiny about bit of money into uh, a company that called Tencent, and it was one of the best investments that's ever been made. They turned $50 million into somewhere on the area of $100 billion. So there are some incredibly, there, there are some, some really incredible um, technological companies and investments in Africa. By and large, they are focused in South Africa. Almost, almost everything else that you see uh, throughout the con- throughout the continent, otherwise, is banking, or it is extractive, as Tyler said, uh, or it is in some form of construction. Those are those are the primary opportunities that are out there. The other thing that's out there that that is it's hard to buy in the U.S., uh, but uh, you can do it is a company called Safaricom, which is the Kenyan national um, uh, telecommunications company uh, that also uh, has something called M-Pesa, which is really one of the, you know, one of the really, really neat things that you see throughout Africa in, in, in areas where there is very little uh, infrastructure. This is a way of the unbanked of getting, uh, getting bank accounts, being able to participate in the formalized economies. I know we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves here. We did. I'm sorry. That's always my fault. 
No, because I I want to I want to go down this rabbit hole really yeah. badly. Um, having been using mobile money, not necessarily Mpesa, because this is one of the things that I find fascinating. And if somebody solves it, they're going to make all the money. One of the big challenges you have with these mobile money platforms uh, across the continent is they are carrier specific. So if mm-hmm. I am using M-Pesa, I have to use the tele- that specific telecom company and I can only transfer money to the people on that uh, carrier. E- example, you know, I'm here in the Gambia, there are three different telecom companies. If I, I using Afrocell needs to transfer money to somebody on QCell, I can't do it. So I actually have to carry around two SIM cards with two different accounts. The company that can figure out how to do a mobile payment platform across carriers is going to make all the money. Mobile money is like the most stripped down version of a a payment platform you could ever have. You can do a transfer of money using an old T9 Nokia brick phone. (laughs) Mm-hmm. They use like a bandwidth within similar to how we like they found out they could do text over this like data stream. They start they basically built a mobile a platform where you could exchange money and uh, for goods or whatever from phone to phone, peer to peer. And there was very, very little uh, interaction with an intermediary like a bank. Uh, obviously, the telecom company gets a rip every time, so they get to make a bunch of money off of it. But it's it's just a, a more streamlined version. Um, like, but there are, like I said, limitations to it. They're carry typically carrier dependent. Um, some of the fees, depending on who you use, can be pretty egregious sometimes. So, figuring that process out and taking that a very powerful tool in bringing banking to the unbanked and making it cross carrier. Uh, cross-national that's going to be a game changer for this continent yeah i mean that sounds almost like gen one paypal right one of the very first paypal applications was they, they could transmit money over palm pilots sounds like the, the story you're telling here if somebody try it can solve that you know crack that nut of being the paypal of africa you know that, that's a big business there the reason i actually am interested in jumia the company is not because of the e-commerce platform it's specifically because of their mobile play mobile payments platform. The e-commerce is just the way that they're serving it up and getting people within that ecosystem. If that can take off, I think that is an immensely more powerful tool, an immensely more profitable engine for that company than anything they can do in the e-commerce world. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you there to the degree that uh, the Jumia, uh, which, which is actually a European company, uh, that's where they're domiciled, but all of their operations are in Africa yeah. to the extent uh, that they, uh, I, to me, their e-commerce that's dead on arrival. Like the ho- there's a hospital that, 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 that I, that, that I work with and their, their address is uh, a long Mumias road near some, you know, near some intersection. That's, that's, that's the address. Right. And that is that that is that is extremely typical. For I'm Jumia, GPS coordinates. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or you could use those three words coordinates, which is something that I, that, 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 that I, that, that I've seen used as well. Be, uh, be all of that as it may, this is, that is a very hard nut to crack a much better and a much more promising path for Jumia and whatever other potential long-term winners in Africa is going to be payment facilitation and, you know, and, and that component of the back office. Yes. Yeah, so, so when you think about uh, companies addressing that opportunity, Jumia, uh, the big one, I mean, uh, other companies that, that come to mind is PayPal, you know, Square, these type of companies, uh, players in this market. Safaricom is one that we talked about earlier and the way that you would participate in Safaricom unless you have access to the to the Kenyan market and very few of us do would be to to own Vodafone, which is its corporate parent, uh, which doesn't give you very focused African exposure or African technological exposure, Millicom would probably be the best way to do it as they have, you know, as, as they are once again, a European company, but they have a large footprint in, in Africa, in, in telecom on the network side, and then also on the, uh, on uh, the micropayment side. I believe it's uh, Orange France Telecom. Uh, They have a very large presence in West Africa. A lot of the former French, uh, colonies, Senegal, Mali, that sort of, sort of region is, is very high on the French telecom aspect. I have this question for Bill, and I, I'd love to know the answer. Like, what has prevented the American telecom industry with all the money they have making, uh, taking a shot at some of these emerging markets? And you can't tell me it's responsible capital allocation because they just blew <clears throat> money on Time Warner and Oath yeah. and whatever the heck you want to call that. Some of it, I, I, I love the question. Some of it is regulatory, right? If you think about how the U.S. the U.S. Uh, telecom industry was set up during the '80s and '90s, we had the we had the local telecom carriers, then we had the long distance carriers. It actually is more you you actually see substantial investment. Uh, by like AT&T, they have actually made investments, minority investments in other companies uh, overseas. Really the best way to have done so with the American American telecom companies isn't through the carriers themselves. It's actually through the cellular tower companies, American Tower primarily. They have an enormous portfolio of assets uh, in developing markets, including in Africa. Yeah, I know Tyler. That was a company that you wanted to talk about uh, here. It was American Tower. If you if you if you think we're going to have e-commerce or digital payments or any of these things, it requires you to connect to the internet in some capacity, and so mobile infrastructure very important for that. Yeah, and when we look at the at cell phone towers specifically, this is what I find fascinating. I am a complete logistics and infrastructure dork when it comes to this kind of stuff, but like (laughs) the way American Tower has worked for years is they went to the carriers and said, hey, do you want to own all these towers and be the only one paying rent? We'll take it off your hands. Right. We'll mow the lawns. Yeah. We'll take care of it. And then they got all of these towers with just a single tenant, and, but they said, hey, why, are, why not just rent it out to three or four at the same time? 
forex you know the revenue the returns on these things and it's been an incredible story in the developed markets like the united states and a little bit uh to a degree in i think india has been their other big play they're doing the same thing in africa and it's very very early innings you know they're buying from the telecom companies they're all single carrier tenants right now the returns on those not great bob not great so you just kind of wait and until once you get a more mature telecom industry with multiple players all engaging on the same tower, the rates of returns on those kind of like that data infrastructure is just going to be ridiculous. I, sh I shared a, uh, a graphic with you guys on like the rates of, um, what is it? The rate for a gigabit uh, or gigabyte of data uh, oh. per country. And you can see like as the rates of, as more telecom companies enter the fold, rates drop like a rock. And it's going to happen when it does, a company like American Tower is going to be there and they're gonna make a lot of money. Yeah, I believe it is the case in, in, in lots of places that we that, that, that I work with in Africa. And so I'd be curious in your experience, Tyler, you still pay a per minute Call, uh, charge for for connectivity don't you everything is prepaid when it comes to connectivity uh on a mobile platform we happen to there are some post pay options for enterprise clients um the reason i happen to live here my wife works for the u.s peace corps um, the entire office has an enterprise postpaid system so it is they are happening they just yeah. It's very hard for an individual to get on a post pay. They, it's just not as available yeah. as we would yeah. have in the United States. And think of, and, and if you stop and think of the implications of those types of barriers, right? We, we at this point, you know, in June, July of 2021, we think of nothing of getting, jumping onto a Zoom call, conducting commerce, having meetings, but if you're in a you, if you're in an environment where you've got to pay, you know, where there's that type of tolling, like that is, you know, that is an area. It's a challenge, but it's also an enormous opportunity for companies like American Tower yeah. because that economic model is going to break at some point. It has to. Go ahead, Tyler, Just sorry. anecdotally, give you an example of that is I have my internet, my wired internet connection from my house. Wired is a is a loose term because basically it's wired to a satellite that goes to a cell phone tower, but um, I have that account as well as two hotspots that are backups in the event that one or two of them goes down for any one reason or another. That you know that redundancy that you know something that we're not used to in the United States is the comfort. If I am subscribed to Verizon, I don't have to carry around an AT and T SIM card yeah. just in case. <laughs> just in case, yeah. Uh, that is it's 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 a friction thing that only exists in the emerging world that when those break, it changes a lot of things for people. So in 2017, I spent a little bit of time in Djibouti. This was actually, Tyler, right before I, I, I spent time with you in Malawi. Uh, and uh, there is a, um, there are two pieces of infrastructure in Djibouti that are incredibly important for its neighboring country, Ethiopia, one of which is the port and the rail system that goes uh, to, into Ethiopia. But running alongside of that is a power line. And at the very top of the power line, and I have an amazing picture of this, is a, is, is a cable and it's on a loop. And what that cable is, is the 
fiber optic cable that connects the country of Ethiopia with the rest of the world. So when Tyler's saying, hey, in case these things go down, this isn't theoretical. In case things go down is like Thursday, twice, and then yes. Friday again. It happened right? here. Yeah. It happened here uh, while uh, we were away for a little while, COVID-related. Uh, um, a Chinese fro- fishing trawler cut the only fiber optic cable to the country. The and only. So they were out of yeah. the internet for a week and a half. The yeah. only. Yeah. Yeah. So these kinds of things are, they are real. They are costly uh, in terms of, in terms of capital returns, in terms of the amount and the types of commerce that, that Africa can, can reliably do. But they are also, for a company like American Tower, for a company like Vodafone, uh, for a company like Naspers even, they are incredible opportunities. Yeah, when to go back to the demographic stuff we talked about earlier, that the second level effect of, of, of solving that problem and getting the cost of accessing data down and getting lots of folks connected is, is the cost of business formation goes down. You can, you can develop a lot of these kind of things a lot, a lot easier. Um, and so as you set, you know, kind of put these rails in place, really opens up lots of opportunities for growth into the future and things that you can't predict now as you look at the current infrastructure landscape, what's possible. Um, so I think that's what gets really interesting. You start compounding mm-hmm. these things over time and, you know, 15 years down the road, you're firing it, you're firing on all cylinders, right? Before we got started talking, you know, we talked about the China story. If you look back 30, 40 years, right, China you know, went from being a very, very undeveloped country to now one of the most developed countries in the world over a course of, of several decades, you could, you could tell a similar story here. What are some things that y'all will be watching uh, when it comes to Africa, say over the next 10 years, some maybe uh, um, you know, guideposts, some benchmarks uh, to see how things are progressing? Yeah, I'll go. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of things to really unravel with this, but you know, uh, one thing I would love to see is actually seeing uh, game plans from American consumer-facing companies with an Africa attack strategy. There is a it, there is a middle class. It's growing. It's here, and yeah. there is a voracious appetite for American consumer brands. Um, living in Lilongwe for two and a half years, for as long as I was there, I never saw less than twelve cars at the KFC drive-through. It's the only. It was the only drive-through KFC in the country, and it was just. You could never get a spot because it was that long. This mm-hmm. appetite for American consumer products, brands, it is there. And, and it is an opportunity just waiting to be unleashed. Um, another thing that I'm, I, I feel like it's been a barrier a lot for business, specifically American business, has been something like foreign currency fluctuation and the fact that there are a lot of currencies on the mm-hmm. con- continent. And so like, you know, having to be in Naira and uh, Nigerian Naira or uh, Senegal being the CEFA, it's, it's been challenging, but we're starting to see progress towards more common currencies. Mm-hmm. There is a 15 nation group uh, called ECOWAS. It's the entire Western Africa region. They, by 2027, they're expecting to go on a common currency called the ECO. That's going to be Senegal, Nigeria, Ghana, Mali, Burkina Faso, like very, very large, very fast growing countries. Mm-hmm. Like, it is hard to contemplate how fast Nigeria is growing as a, as a, as a population. It, bringing these countries all together on a single currency could be a game changer, not just for like Americans wanting to do business in this region, but just those countries doing business with each other. Uh, yeah. There is very, very little cross-border 
work because they're all anchored to European currencies. Right. And so being able to work on a common currency is huge. Right. To trade between Nigeria and Togo and, you know, but from Lagos to Lome is literally, you know, a 40 mile drive. Uh, you have to convert currency from Naira to call it British pounds and then back to Seifa in Togo. Like it's, it's, it's expensive. There's so many different things that are very, very expensive. One of the things that I'm looking at, uh, Nick is, and, and, and Tyler touched on this and there's a really interesting way that you can, that you could play uh, and invest in Africa is by looking at the consumer brands, the consumer brand companies that are big in Africa. They aren't necessarily all U S companies. Nestle is one with a massive footprint uh, in, in, in Africa. They even actually have their own uh, publicly traded subsidiaries like Nestle Nigeria is its own publicly traded uh, subsidiary. InBev, the brewery companies are, you know, have, you know, massive, have massive African footprints. Um, Unilever has a massive African footprint. Uh, these types of companies have gotten so much smarter and put so much more focus into the African markets in spinning up brands and spinning up, uh, spinning up products that are relevant to the local markets. And I think that that is a, a, a really underrated way to get great exposure to these economies. And at the same time, you know, as, 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 as Tyler mentioned it, I would emphasize you're getting exposure to Africa, but you're getting European slash American corporate governance and minority shareholder protections. Excellent. Well, thank you all so much for, for joining me for this conversation on investing in Africa. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. I hope I'm still alive when this airs, Bill. <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm betting on it. I hope all our listeners will. I'd bet too. on it too. I'm not taking the other side of that. Uh, Tyler, Tyler and Bill, thank you all both for, for joining me. Can't wait to have you all on again sometime soon. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Tyler Crow and Bill Mann, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on. Mm-hmm.